Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chunkaluta. Woo! We hit the record button this time. We Dude, did. Need... We're all we're all three here again. We're all three. Here Why don't I have like an like like a like a you know red tail fa- falcon sound? You know, like ah, that everybody thinks is an eagle. You know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I need to have one of those on the soundboard. You oh, know? you do. You for do. after the. <laughs> any excuse to drown out mike singing i'm i'm all for uh, <laughs> but anyways uh we are back we are reading the gramsci reader that uh we're continuing on we're on slide 85 the the problem of the school but before we get into that uh we always start with uh um any corrections or current events and we do have some current events on the docket um Prez, do you want to kick us off there? Yeah, so where to begin? Um, Europe is getting absolutely uh, fucked over right now. Europe is getting uh, fucked sideways. So let's yeah. let, let's <laughs> clarify this for, for the audience. Not in a good way. Not in a good way. No. no. Um, it, let's clarify this for the, the audience. Um, climate change is coming for all of us. Climate change is going to hit all of us. And we know kind of broadly the shit that will happen, although it'll happen. And we know kind of broadly, like this many years, this really bad shit will happen. You don't want to be around in 2050 if if we can't be stopping climate change type stuff. But we don't exactly know what pathway it's going to take because a lot of the consequences are weather driven and weather rides not just on like you know, land surface and water and stuff like that, but on jet streams, which are heavily affected by the ocean. And a lot of those jet streams are not only causing unpredictable side effects. This, you know, goes back to like the Chinese weather balloon that was embarrassingly shot down with fucking jets over uh, like with $5 the Carolinas. Five billion dollars missiles. Um, but it, it also means that where it gets hit first with climate change is very unpredictable. And it looks like it's Europe. And, and and funnily enough, all the all of the uh, countries we think are going to sink first, yeah. one yeah. of them is actually in Europe and is not sinking fast Italy. enough. Mm-hmm. Italy, not Italy. Italy's all mountains. The Netherlands, the swamps, oh. swamp Germany. Sorry, I, I just think Germany. of how Venice <laughs> is like everywhere in Venice now because of the tide. Like gets like three feet underwater. <laughs> yeah, well, so like if you if you leave the airport from like Amsterdam and you drive into the city with a taxi, on the highway there's like built into the overpass. It's like you are eight feet underwater. Isn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> no, jeez. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm gonna die. <laughs> Greece, I was gonna say Greece has been smacked with what like two weeks straight of of flooding. It feels yeah. like it just constant. And and here's the thing. Land water, land water has a lot of different variables that can really mess with it as climate change increases and as capitalist inst- extraction carries on. You know, we've seen anything from there's I forget the name of the lake, but there's the famous lake in Russia that started to trickle a little bit in the USSR, but overwhelmingly has just disappeared under capitalist the, Russia since the fall of the, the USSR. Earl? The Caspian Sea, the no, disappear. yeah, it's a lake that disappeared in your in Russia. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but also like the Great Salt Lake is shrinking Carol. incredibly quickly. Is it Lake Beloy? 
Errol C. There we Formerly, go. and now no longer exists. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> oh, th- this was a tiny little lake that also disappeared. Okay. Oh, yeah. It drained um, into underground rivers. It happens. Yeah, no, this this was the big one. But but the thing that, that I mean is water's gonna, water is starting to flood everywhere from this weather in Europe. And as this continues... Uh, the water flow is is of course eventually going to change if if these weather patterns happen and nobody is thinking about like soil absorption and how these things drain. People have always dealt with like a river rising style uh, effect with with flooding, and so it's been like levees and things like that. There's going to be some adverse effects on the landscape in Europe surprisingly quickly. And this flooding is really the start of it. This is almost like the big reveal of climate change. And it's incredibly destructive and deadly and scary. Well, also, like, uh, if you look at a map and ignoring the whole distortions of, like, geographic size, like, if you just look at a map, Europe is much farther north compared Mm -hmm. to the Americas. So, like, Rome is a similar latitude of New York City. Um. So, like, I'm over here further up north than Rome, and it's it's it was, like, in July, it was, like, 11 p.m. and still sun, sunlight out. Um, and because of that, the whole reason why it can be, like, nice weather this far north is because of that whole Gulf Stream, ocean, jet stream kind of thing going on, whatever the real name is. That apparently is starting to partially collapse mm-hmm. there's those scare stories going on in the news about how the the gulf stream is going to totally collapse um and then you have scientists who actually know what they're talking about saying it's not actually going to collapse it's just going to be part of it <laughs> which which is still really still, bad for weather really and, bad and of um, course agriculture um yeah and if this is what's happening as it's slowing down. I can't imagine what's going to happen when part of it actually collapses because in Europe, you know, everyone makes fun of how everything is made out of paperboard in the U S in Europe. Everything is made out of fucking concrete (laughs) and no one installs air conditioning in the buildings, which is good historically, but also if you're in a concrete building with no air conditioning and the temperature hits above like 70 degrees for more than a day, you're going to be baked alive, which is, is exactly what has been happening in most of Europe all summer. You have like a literal kiln at that point. <laughs> <I mean>. Yeah. <laughs> Well, right now too, isn't there still there's still a, like a heat dome that's almost that's hovering above Europe that's almost keeping the rain over the Mediterranean. Well, I mean, that's just uh, like because Mediterranean corridor. I want to say, yeah, not just the Mediterranean. What's it called? The heat domes. The, the globe heat dome the is like the air forcing hot, like the the air currents forcing heat to stay trapped mm-hmm. over like Spain. And it and it repels rain while it's doing it. And then that also means that there's extra rain around it. So you have a super dry. It, this was over the U.S. Um, yeah. the, like, I, the, I mean, in Missouri, it certainly hit me. Past. What was the, the first thing? Oh, we were talking about India going to the moon. What's up with that? Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we didn't even get to that. 
India, if it's if it's still India and not, but Bharat, Bharat? is that it? Bharat, Bharat, which yeah. is the Sanskrit term for the the area. Yeah. Oh. So this coming coming at a time where so India coming at a time where India is still excluding Algeria from BRICS and is still you know largely pro US and and anti China and very anti Muslim. Um, but also is is you know digging in with bricks and and not necessarily doing the West bidding all the way. Um, they're going back to well. Sanskrit. That's why I think the idea of multipolarity achieved through bricks is so funny. Is because it's like no, it's not. It's yeah, bricks is <laughs> the still- U.S. is still very much represented on bricks. Yes, yeah, well, so I mean China's entire industry is built around. Fuck it, it. I mean it's slowly moving away from there, but it's built around U.S. debt. If, you know? <laughs> yeah, if we're if we're going to talk about because because BRICS is less of a vehicle for multipolarity. It's not even meant to be political, right? It was an economic alliance that happened in 2009 because the housing collapsed in 2008. And something I like to remind people is that the the massive inflation and the capitalist collapse in the late 70s wrecked like like the the and, and it was basically the collapse caused by the petrodollar and then it fully put the petrodollar in control the petrodollar was pushed under nixon and, well, right. and the, it was the consolidation of the petrodollar. yeah and the consolidation petrodollar, it wrecked the global south especially africa and that largely led to the economic outcomes that collapsed the eastern Bloc. and so global south countries see you know economic crash in the west and they go well fuck <laughs> and uh and they know they're on the petrodollar, and they started scrambling for an economic alternative. That's why BRICS was formed in 2009. Um, well, but the it, issue is that, like, BRICS, it's like what you were saying. They were trying to find an economic alternative, but mm-hmm. they were trying to be, like, the next G7. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. The they're, they're trying to go up against G7, not NATO. It's not really a counter-hegemony. nothing in common. It's an yeah. alternative hegemony. You know? Yeah, they're and they're big, not. Yeah, they're not. not. They're not hegemonic at all, right? You've got capitalist countries that that favor the West. You've got uh, capitalist but anti-West countries. You know, so like India um, now, Iran is is in there, um, but but you know, Brazil is is one more like a capitalist like a but anti-West, and then you have China. Like, you can't have a popular front with iran and saudi arabia though come on yeah no, <laughs> no it's, I, it's well, I mean but like, it's an economic alliance what well, with the reason the reason it's it's a big deal is because it's it's they're they're finding economic alternatives that was the whole point of it because of the harm that that you know now western sanctions but also any capitalism cyclical anytime the west goes through an economic crash it harms the entire global south worse than the west because the west you know manipulates the petrodollar to where they recover but that inflation stays it sticks in the global south right we haven't run into like in the united states or in in much of of europe some places in europe like greece and stuff have but much of europe we're like the economy is just ruined for decades from an economic crash. We we haven't run into that, right? Because the 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 uh, currency is just bunk, right? The currency bounces back. And, and oh, sorry, what? I said reservations. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. I, I, okay. Um, I'm just saying a lot of people right forget. No, but those are other countries. Yeah. Okay. I should I should say. <laughs> Let me let me specify in the first world countering versus the third world and the fourth world. Okay, in the first <laughs> world, that that economic um, strength has has been from the the dollar holding itself valuable. BRICS is just an economic alliance. They're just looking out for their own interests, but they're constantly looking for an alternative to the dollar, and they're progressing that way. 
what that means against the hegemony of the U.S. is the possible end of the petrodollar. And if the petrodollar ends, regardless of BRICS intentions or what it actually is, if the petrodollar ends and China's sitting there with a bigger you know, GDP than the U.S., the U.S. dollar is suddenly going to lose value massively and the U.S. is going to economically weaken very quickly. And that's where BRICS functionally can act as a counter hegemon. But that doesn't mean it's like a multi great multipolar tool. There is no BRICS pole and any other pole that would emerge like China being there. There exists regardless of BRICS, um, even if they're they're one of the headlining countries in it. BRICS is just a counter hegemon, not to be a counter hegemon, but to look out for the interests of the global South countries involved. See, the problem is, and we are not the uh, three guys sitting around a podcast talking about uh, <laughs> global events. So I will try not to derail so we don't end up actually reading Gramsci. But the problem is the new additions to BRICS are super incomprehensible. Yeah, because like Tina. How do how Argentina won't make it in because because that they've got an election coming up and like every candidate is pro US and anti BRICS even the party that's in power. Well, so like Brazil and and India didn't want Iran in, and Russia and China strong armed South Africa and it's it's the whole like real politics shit, but like which doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. The point is that, like, once they made the announcement, the countries that were announced are going to join unless that specific country walks it back. Yeah. But, like, how are you going to get Iran and Saudi Arabia in a room? Well, and how, no. you, and how are you going to get Egypt and Ethiopia in a room? Because <laughs> both of those two country pairs. Yeah, absolutely fucking hate each other. I, I, I understand, and I don't think they'll be <laughs> like perfect. Saudi Arabia and Yemen is what they're gonna do. Yeah, I mean, it's there's not gonna be perfect, lasting peace or anything from this. Okay, but like there has been talks with Iran and Saudi Arabia, and the West quickly rushed in and was like, "Oh no, 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 no!" Uh, that China was conducting, and it's not like, "Oh, this will you know this this will free Yemen." This is the great, you know, Saudi Arabia is no longer gonna be reactionary or anything like that. But it it at least theoretically should settle it to the tension, kind of like a, a you know China and Vietnam level, where they have this historical rivalry, right? But they're not at odds and and having one manipulated by the West against the other at the drop of a hat. hat well, the right? issue is is with the Yemen situation. It's not actually the Houthi rebels at the. Yeah, the who yeah, exactly. They're not negotiating the for themselves. Yes. No, I understand. It's the Yemen the ruling class who already basically serve Saudi Arabia's interests. So really all they're doing is doing genocide cover up. I mean, yeah. it's really not a good look. Like I understand what they're going for, but the US is has a very large dossier on this. Yeah. And but their plans towards its ends and Saudi Arabia plays a huge role in it. Mm-hmm. And this is just right. It goes right into their pocket. It, it doesn't do anything good. It yeah. really doesn't. It's just providing a PR. Really. It's really fucked up how it's going down. And I yeah. don't think a lot of people are recognizing how blatantly in our face it is. Like, I don't know. 
it just pisses me the fuck off. Well, the the thing I'm going to say is like bricks is not a block. You should not think of it like the Eastern block or <laughs> like, like some kind of, you know, ideological consistent group of power. It's not even meant to be a political uh, thing. It's, it's, it's like the a, embodiment of real politique. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, they have, they have a shared interest in securing their economics against the petrodollar and against the whims of the, the United States um, from a myriad of different, you know, ranging from pro to anti-U.S. stances, ranging from capitalism and very reactionary kingdoms uh, to a communist country and everything in between. It's just a group of global South countries that have a shared economic interest, and they're working towards those. Okay, yeah. and the only reason that has any political pull pull is because the U.S. is scared shitless of it because the U.S. power is wrapped largely now in the petrodollar. Um, because that's the stage of imperialism we are in and they see BRICS and it very possibly is, you know, Brazil's pushed very hard for this as a threat to the, the U S petrodollar. But even, even if it serves that purpose, those countries are only tied together for that, those economic interests and it will take years for that to happen. So it's not like the BRICS is unimportant geopolitically. It's massively important, but it's not, it's not a count. It's not a, uh, well, it is counter hegemonic in the sense that it's counter hegemonic to petrodollar, but it's not, uh, it's not a, a, a different pole in a multipolar world. So, related to BRICS, mm-hmm. it may not be BRICS soon anyway, regardless of the, uh, the additions of the countries, because India may change its name. so yeah so that's another news instead of triple a it's going to be triple b because you got bricks bricks the rest of them (laughs) (laughs) uh well they 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 just make a ron the eye there you go (laughs) there you go there you go solve problem solved uh, and if the Chete Shackoween gains, you know, national liberation, it could be Bricko's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so anyway, let's read Gramsci. Let's read Gramsci. Uh, oh, they landed on the moon, though. India landed on the moon. Yeah, they landed on the moon. So India landed on the moon. And, uh,. China made a phone, Huawei made a phone that the U.S. is freaking the fuck out about mm-hmm. because it's using uh, chips and stuff that are so advanced that they couldn't have made it without either circumventing the sanctions or doing something completely impossible, which is making the stuff themselves. So... <laughs> Yeah. Um, so now the U.S. government is like they can't have made this themselves. They're going. They're circumventing the sanctions. Now we have to sanction them even more. Which, um, which is not what happened. No, it's not what happened. They're making them themselves. <laughs> and, and this is what they asked for when they did the semiconductor sanctions. You know, yeah. this is what the U.S. asked for when when um, the U.S. made China the world's factory. Essentially, you know, this this is all political decisions coming full circle it's 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 the u.s reaping what it sowed and china gaining and the u.s throwing a fit because that's how u.s history always well so the net so 
there's only a few countries in the world and a few companies in the world that have the technology and the technological know-how to actually make these super advanced chips. There's like one in the Netherlands that makes like all of the lithography machines that actually can etch the chips mm-hmm. that the U S actually threatened the Dutch. And we're like, we're going to bankrupt your whole country. If you keep selling to China, which they're already <laughs> just doing with the Ukraine war. So why not? Yeah. We're going to bankrupt it even more. Well, that's yeah. Like all of Europe is in a downturn and the U S's industry is in an upturn. And it's like, Oh, the U S brags about this. Yeah. Like, they they go yeah they'll they'll go on TV or in the reports or in the article and there's this tone of like oh my god we're we're helping the Ukrainian people and and it's out of the goodness of our hearts the U.S. is giving this aid right and it's always aid 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 and then they'll like go give a speech to like Harvard or something and they'll brag about the investment and the Ukraine war and how no U.S. lives were lost so it's perfect. Didn't Zelensky free. start like bidding off parts of the fucking yeah. country? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what he's he's there for to, to be a puppet right it's like oh this was a state-run industry you know uh do, you want this cargill let's fucking go um so like you have the dutch with the lithography machines and then you have taiwan mm-hmm. with that company uh that makes like literally every fucking piece of technology you own um and then like a few other companies so it's not even just like China being the factory of the world. We literally said you cannot talk to the three guys who do all of this stuff. Like we uh, we controlled all of the we control the three guys who did all of this. And then we said you can't talk to them anymore and then we made them figure out how to do this themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like what what did you expect really to happen? a country of a billion and a half people to just go back to feudalism. Like what? No. Yeah. All, all of this is reaction to the, I mean, these countries are making their own decisions from their own history to their own things happening in real time. But every subject we've talked about now, everything on the U S tongue that, that that's, you know, pissing and freaking out, pissing off and freaking out the, the U S uh, ruling class is reaction to the U S's actions. You know, I, <sighs> What did they think was going to happen? What's insane, too, is that... They're reaping what they sowed. They're reaping what they sowed. What's insane, too, exactly, is that all of these fucking sanctions were met not just with, like, we're going to cut you off from these companies. We're also going to do a witch hunt against all of the Chinese citizen researchers in the U.S. Yes. And get them to go back home willingly... But that's like standard, though. Like when you read like the Jakarta method, it's crazy. Like they were yeah. making Indi- Chinese Indonesians change their last names and shit. No, like- no, no. But so, like in the U.S. in the last few years, like if you look, if you pay attention to the news, or if you're in like academia, you'll know you'll have seen that like professor whoever the fuck was like doing research and just stopped being at. Caltech and is now at University of Shanghai. Yep. Or this grad student is coming from China to work with this professor. Well, and and, and this outside of visa. This becomes an uh, outside of both sides of their mouth type thing too, because yeah. it's, these are a threat. These you know these might have interest in China for this very racist reasons, right? Yeah. 
Um, but then as soon as they go back to the, the University of Shanghai, it's China is stealing, you know, taking all the U.S. academia back. And, and, and it's, you know. Well, I mean, um, so like you deny them. Fine. Mm-hmm. The U.S. isn't even doing real politic well enough anymore. Like we're not even good at imperialism anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm it, not. I'm not even in the game room and I'm better at playing the game of like playing Civ five better than them. Like, come on, this is baby shit. Well, this is, this is the same thing they talked about. No U S soldiers, but we knew there was mili- uh, um, uh, military, uh, uh, mercenaries, mercenaries that were very right wing <laughs> because Ukraine, it, it was kind of like how all of the, like every right wing Muslim in the entire West Asian corridor, like flocked to Afghanistan in, in the eighties. Right. Yeah. Every white supremacist, every Nazi from Europe and the U.S. and even a lot of the global south has flocked to Ukraine to, to fight in the, the name of, of neo-Nazism. Um, and a lot of them were former U.S. or British or whatever Western troops. And they're not used to the other side having air bombers, right, like like aerial attacks. And they're like, oh, shit, this is hard to fight. And uh, the U.S. is kind of doing the same thing economically, right? They're not good at imperialism anymore because they haven't had to really do it. They, they, you know, a, a series of grotesque actions and, um, um, and you know, luck with war set up the U.S. in kind of the mid to late 20th century as a great hegemon. And then the petrodollar really amped that up and secured that. And ever since then they still do horrible things, but they do horrible things on a whim because they can. They don't have to think about it. It wasn't even luck with war. It was like evilly and connivingly sitting back and letting everybody else die first. Oh, no. I mean, I I fully agree. But if World War II had happened to to break out on this continent, the U.S. wouldn't have had that choice, right? So it was luck with where the war was. Sure, yeah, in that way, yes, definitely. Well, technically, we had some fighting on Hawaii and Alaska, so, Mm. (laughs) you know, we weren't weren't battle-free. Well, then Germans did land here on the mainland. (laughs) And then, don't forget Battle Los Angeles. You're going to forget that piece of history. If you don't know that it's this thing ancient aliens likes to bring up where like, like the the U.S. government legitimately fired thousands of rounds into the sky and killed citizens on accident, uh, shooting at nothing. Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, like there's photos and it looks like something, but is it something or is it just the photo that they did doctor? Like it's known the photo that was printed was doctored. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> could have cool. just been some like new private who just fucked up the binoculars and thought it was 100 percent. you're fucking the war you just joined the war you don't know what japan's gonna do they've been fucking wrecking all across asia and fucking america was like the boxer rebellion did not go good for us you know <laughs> <laughs> like, that was like one of the last like, i mean i guess maybe world war one right yeah but like I can't remember which happens first, Boxer or World War One. The Boxer Rebellion was in the 1800s. Yeah, yeah. okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. what I, was, like, I don't know, though. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Sometimes that history is closer than you think. You know? The Boxer well, Rebellion was in 1986. What? What? No, no. I was joking. Okay. I was like, what? <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> 
So enough yeah, detour. After, let's read. Yeah, let's read. <laughs> Only half an hour into this. Let's read. Um, I guess I'll start because I wasn't here last time. Uh, so we're starting with uh, section six, the problem of the school. The problem of the school, like any other problem which concerns a general activity of the state, a necessary function in society, must be studied as part of the sphere of action of the state of workers. By the way, ended in 1901. So fuck y'all. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh must be studied as part of the sphere of action of the state of workers and peasants' councils. We are aiming to stimulate a mentality of construction of comrades already ideally organized in the state of the councils, already ideally active at the work in evoking all of the organs of the new social life. The educational propaganda conducted so far by the socialists has been largely negative and critical. It could not have been otherwise. Today, after the positive experiences of our Russian comrades, it can and must be otherwise if we want to ensure that their experiences have not been in vain for us. We must develop these experiences critically, paring away from them what is specific to Russia, dependent on particular conditions in which the Soviet Republic found Russian society when it came to power. We must pick out and establish what in them is permanent necessity to communist society, dependent on the needs and aspirations of the class of workers and peasants, exploited to the same degree in all parts of the globe. Um, so again, just don't take the Soviet Union and just magically transport it to another spot and then say everything they did was perfect. But like, what did they do that makes them communist? What can we use? What, what is necessary to our societies? What can we learn? Yeah, I love Graham. So he'd be spit on fire. <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's good. <laughs> like this, this is be, like I'm. I'm not talking much because I'm like right down this one. Okay, this, <laughs> this is good. What what page is that? Can I bookmark that? This is good <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, the problem of the school is at once both technical and political. In a parliamentary democratic state, there can be no technical and political solution to the problem of the school. Ministers of education are placed in office because they belong to a political party, not because they know how to administer and direct the educational function of the state. It, God, we see that so much now. Look, look at the school battles between, you know, Democrats, totally not just wanting uh, charter schools since Obama and the Republicans who just like want to gut everything and then educate people that racism was good, actually. Uh it cannot even in all honesty be claimed that the bourgeois class molds the school to its own ends of domination. If this were to happen, it would mean that the bourgeois class had an educational program and was carrying it out with a single-minded energy. The school would then be a living thing. This is not the case. The bourgeoisie, as the class that, which controls the state, takes no interest in the school. It lets the bureaucrats make or destroy it as they are able and allows the education ministers to be chosen according to the caprice of political competition through partisan intrigue so as to obtain a happy balance of parties in the cabinet. In these conditions, the technical study of the educational problem is a pure exercise of mental chess, a matter of intellectual gymnastics rather than a serious and concrete contribution to the problem itself. When, that is, it is not a tiresome lamentation of, and rehashing of old banalities about the excellence of the educative role of the state, the benefits of education, etc. 
In the state of the councils, the school will represent one of the most important and essential public activities. Indeed, to the developmental development and success of the school is linked the development of the communist state and the advent of a democracy which the dictatorship of the proletariat is absorbed. The present generation will be educated into practice of all social discipline necessary for the realization of communist society. With assemblies and direct participation and in deliberation and the administration of the socialist state. The school will have the task of rearing the new generations, those who will enjoy the fruits of our sacrifices and efforts, those who will reap, after the transitional period of national proletarian dictatorships, the fullness of life and development of international communist democracy. What? what so, okay, this is all just super funny to me because, like, what he just, like, articulated there is, like, the seventh generation's principle that a lot of indigenous people fucking operate on, right? Like, the decisions you make should be benefiting seven generations. In oh, the yeah. Future. You know, like, fucking, like, all I'm hearing is shit that, like, we already, like, literally, before I ever read this, you know, because I'm reading it with y'all, mm-hmm. right? Already, we have planned a school to help facilitate <laughs> the building of a socialist state in a Chete Shackleweed. You know, so it's like, bruh, <laughs> I'm so right. No, <laughs> that's that's good. And that's a hopefulness that I think we need to cling on to. So, well, even so- now, a lot of the people who are on, like, like our elders and stuff and our, you know, traditional places of power where like kids and stuff that attended the, we will remember survival school that used to run in porcupine. So it's like, it's just coming full circle. There was just a little stop in, in, in in a couple generations, but now we're back on track, you know, (laughs) give them Gramsci. Well, that's, that's my entire thing is like, (laughs) I'm trying to formulate an educative program that articulates this stuff a little more subtly. So it's not instantly, because I'm also battling Russell Means' influence. Mm-hmm. And he wrote this whole thing about how capitalism is better than communism because at least it oh, regulates geez. itself. Oh, geez. We'll just go like, well, there's this Italian dude. He got uh, <laughs> right. He yeah. wrote some stuff and just check him out. He's not too bad. No, I think, well, people really have been responding to my articulation of how to solve the issues on our reservation and stuff. And fucking like, because of the work I've been doing, like in two days, there's, you know, another treaty council meeting happening and fucking nice. They'll be discussing a lot of the shit I'm doing. So it's like, nice. you know, it's not moving in silence. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nope. Um, but I do, I do. Cause I, I like that you brought that up. So I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit of a mini rant, um, personal, like just ah, gear grinding thing. I've seen, a jump in almost nihilism from people um, in reaction. I think it, a lot of people really buy into, they, they don't understand that the use of the idea of capitalist realism um, that, that people, you know, it's hard to shake people out of this reality that capitalism is just there. And so, you know, they almost buy into the fact that people are unmovable and then they, they lean into nihilism and I've seen it spurred off to all kinds of things. I've seen people like, 
try to talk about you know declining rates of 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 people going to faith based institutions to to nihilism even though that has always happened with the economic downturn and societal downturn of of societies as they as they wind down right and let's not buy into the oh empires last 250 years fascist shit and assume the US is over that stuff can last for 100 years like winding down can last longer than than a society peaking but well it's like when Rome fell. It was like 750 years before the fucking yeah. end of the even Western half. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then you got the Byzantine half. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's absolutely. Um, but nonetheless, Not to mention people carrying it on mm-hmm. to this very fucking day. I was just going to yes. say Rome didn't actually fall. Yeah. Like Italy exists. There was the whole fascist, you know, mm-hmm. the Holy Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. America models itself after Rome. Mm-hmm. Like, but there was still centuries of Rome winding down. And when a society does that, because it 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 runs into its own contradictions, people do things like like I mean, unfortunately, and, and content warning for you know self harm. People do see spikes in you know self harm and suicides. People run, turn away from religions. Things like that tend to happen, and people are crediting that a lot to like nihilism, and then seeing like a rise in nihilism. Folks, listen to me. These are the normal cycles a, a society does when it's in this kind of of wind down, and all that means is that we need to work all the harder to be there for each other, and we need to remember that not that Nietzsche, Nietzsche was a reactionary shit. All right, nihilism is not a, like some leftist. Fuck his sister too. Probably they, all those weird. You know, all those philosophers of of the 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 twentieth century were were weird shits. You know, I'm just uh, saying, don't listen to people who are fucking their sister. Yeah, <laughs> it's just. Um, but you know, we saw we saw nihilism and existentialism uh, in twentieth century Europe, and I am not like going woohoo, let's go existentialism. But fuck, at least that was built on like you know a, a fear of of struggle and of failing that hope, but that there was still a cause to do. Nihilism is so. And don't fall into nihilism, folks. Don't fall into nihilism. There's always a purpose, and the purpose is always each other. And you can struggle with lacking faith in the outcome of that purpose, but don't lose sight of that purpose. Do not. Um, where did I go? Oh, uh, how Just do it? Sorry, Just I do it. Just shy <laughs> Um, how will the communist schools carry out this task? How should the educative function of the state be organized in the overall system of the councils? What administrative duty will need to be carried out by the primary and secondary teachers union? How will universities and polytechnics be transformed and coordinated with the general cultural activity? Once the constitution is changed and the fundamental principles of the law have been altered, what character should the faculty of law possess our review numbers among its subscribers and readers a strong contingent of young students artists and teachers of different levels who have the ability and the training to pose these problems critically and try to solve them we appeal to their goodwill to the active desire they feel for useful cooperation towards the advent of the new order of communism unsigned lordine nuovo 27 June 1919. <laughs> that like reverberated. <laughs> Banger. <laughs> Questions of culture. The proletarian revolution cannot be cannot but be a total revolution. 
It consists in the foundation of new modes of labor, new modes of production and distribution that are peculiar, pe peculiar to the working class and its historical determination in the course of the capitalist process. This revolution also presupposes the formation of a new set of standards, a new psychology, new ways of feeling, thinking, and living that must be specific to the working class, that must be created by it, that will become quote-unquote dominant when the working class becomes the dominant class. The proletarian revolution is essentially the liberation of the productive forces already existing within bourgeois society. These forces can be identified in the economic and political fields, but it is, but it is impossible to start identifying the latent elements that will lead to the creation of a proletarian... Sorry but is it impossible to start identifying the latent elements that will lead to the creation of a proletarian civilization or culture? Do elements for an art philosophy and morality stand in then in parentheses standards specific to the working class already exist? The question must be raised and it must be answered. Together with the problem of gaining political and economic power, the proletariat must also face the problem of winning intellectual power. Just as it has thought to organize itself politically and economically, it, mu it must also think about organizing itself culturally. Although, no such although through such organizations, it is not yet going to be possible, parentheses, no more than in the economic and political sectors, and parentheses, to obtain positive creative results before the system of bourgeois domination has been broken up, it, sure, it should still be possible to pose the fundamental questions and outline the most characteristic features of the development of the new civilization. According to our Russian comrades, who have already set up an entire network of organizations for proletarian culture, the Pro cult. The mere fact that the workers raise the questions and attempt to answer them means that the elements of an original proletarian civilization already exist, that there are already proletarian forces of production of cultural values, just as the fact that the workers create class organizations in order to carry out their cultural activity just as the fact that the workers create class organizations in order to carry out their cultural activity means that these values too, unlike in the bourgeois period, will be created by the working class on the basis of organization. Do the workers have their own conception of the world? The conception of the world specific to the working class today is, of critical, is that of critical communism which bases historical development on the class struggle. Yet because of this very conception of the world, the working class knows that, that its conquest of political and economic power will mark the end of the, the period of class-divided societies. Will there no longer be historical development? Will the machine of progress be broken once classes have been abolished and the class struggle suppressed? Many workers have undoubtedly asked this question, just as some of them have undoubtedly felt anxiety because they have been unable to find an answer. 
the working class therefore has its own quote unquote metaphysical needs, which are proper to it alone. Even a bourgeois can conceive the can conceive the world from the standpoint of the class struggle. But since he cannot imagine the struggle as perpetual, he does not ask himself, quote, and after the abolition of classes, end quote. The abolition of the class struggle does not mean the abolition of the need to struggle as a principle of development. I feel like that is a very important thing to highlight. That's something that yeah. we really... I, I literally just copied that entire section and pasted it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's a good one. Actually, I was about to send it into the server, though. <laughs> but yeah, we don't have some magical hand-in-hand worker monolith that'll just spring up. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a lot of of revolution going forward. There will be the struggle against the brute forces of nature. And this struggle will be applied on a scale never before seen. And we're going to, the brute forces of nature are going to become even more brutish with climate change getting even worse. But what notions, what particular, particular ways of seeing, thinking, and feeling does this form of struggle, which does not set living beings against each other, presuppose in order for one to imagine the same conquering spirit and people the same expansive energy that one finds today in the class struggle. On this basis, then, we can begin to think that in the fullness of its autonomous historical life, the working class will also have its own original conception of the world, some of whose fundamental features can already be delineated. Tomorrow, like today, the school will undoubtedly be a crucible where the new spirits will be forged. Indeed, tomorrow the school will be immensely more important than it is now. In the various educational organizations, parentheses, near home or at the workplace, and this near home or at the workplace is where Althusser goes into the whole ideological state apparatus stuff. In the various educational work educational organizations near home or at the workplace in Russia, one studies up to the age of 50. In the way, in the way schools have been organized in Russia, a Marxist principle has been applied in practice. The dominant class reflects in its social life the relations that characterize its particular modes of existence. The Russian school reflects the way of studying characteristic the Russian school reflects the way studying characteristic of the working class. The worker studies and works, his labor is study and study is labor. In order to become a specialist in his work, the worker on average puts in the same number of years that it takes to get a specialized degree. The worker, however, carries out his studies in the very act of doing immediately productive work. Industrial progress tends to annihilate the quote-unquote studies proper to the worker in that it tends to destroy specialized trades. Having become dominant, the, worker, the working class wants manual labor and intellectual labor to be joined in the schools and thus creates a new educational tradition. One can easily foresee that when the working class wins its liberty, it will bring to 
to the light of history new complexes of linguistic expressions, even if it will not radically change the notion of beauty. The existence of the existence of Esperanto, although it is although it does not demonstrate much in itself and has more to do with bourgeois cosmopolitanism than with proletarian internationalism, shows nevertheless by the fact that the workers are strongly interested in it and manage to waste manage to waste their time over it that there is a desire and a historical push towards the formation of verbal complexes and that trans verbal complexes that transcend national limits and in relation to which current national languages will have the same role as dialects now have does everyone know what Esperanto is? No, I'm very confused. Yeah, not not one bit. I just want to make sure I, I get do, it. however, know who Filippo Tommaso Marinetti is. So I'm glad I went ahead and studied something ahead of us <laughs> that wasn't relevant to the section. So Esperanto was really big in the late 1800s and early 1900s in Europe specifically around uh like urban nerds academic intellectual theorists it was supposed to be like the replacement lingua franca um for french or english or anything specifically because it was a wholly invented language out of nothing yeah um the the Britannica entry is Esperanto, artificial language constructed in 1887 by L.L. Zymenhoff, a Polish occultist. <laughs> so I'm like, mm. oh, wait, Oculist. What's an Oculist? Is that an eye doctor? I don't know. Not a occultist. Wow, my brain. No, I did it again. I, I, did I spell the cultist again? <laughs> Well, Wikipedia says that the the LL Zamenhof was an ophthalmologist. So yeah, the Oculus is an ophthalmologist. What's an ophthalmologist? An uh, an eye doctor. An eye doc. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. So it, instead of having like English be the 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 language that everyone speaks globally, or Chinese being the next. I was going to say, what's fireflies? Isn't it Chinese? <laughs> or Chinese being it? Everyone was going to was going to be do, learning Esperanto, um, and it was because it was wholly invented. No, no one was going to get their feelings hurt. Kind of. Um, I learned about it first when I was a teenager, and I was watching Danny Phantom because one of the one of the characters only spoke Esperanto. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, Gramsci does not like it <laughs> and it, you could learn I mean, it on Duolingo, I think, if you're that I mean, interested. I was going to say it didn't really stick. No one's speaking, but not a no. lot of people speaking Esperanto. So I don't, so like the closest right. example, why did my, my camera keeps getting unplugged. <laughs> Anyway, I don't know how it keeps happening. Motherfucker. 
<laughs> it's a Twitch. Are you guys seeing that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know. I'm fucking breaking <laughs> Anyway, so Esperanto is, is kind of had its had its heyday, and it's uh, people tried to get it to be popular, and it didn't really work out. And Marxists tried to make it so like that was the language everyone spoke instead of everyone trying to either learn Russian or learn English or anything. And then everyone just realized that this is you're just you're just essentially adding a language no one speaks into it. <laughs> so for those who will have this for those who have the will to solve them or to try to solve them, there are an endless number of problems of this order. Is it a waste of time to be concerned with these problems? Our Russian comrades say that not only is it not a waste of time, but that on the contrary, if the working class is not concerned with them, it means that it has not yet reached the stage of revolutionary development in which it truly understands the full implications of the notion of ruling class. In order to help in this field too, the working classes that have not yet been liberated Sorry, and the working classes that have not yet liberated themselves from the political yoke of the bourgeoisie, our Russian comrades want to establish relations between the pro-cult and the proletarian, proletarian cultural organizations that already exist in the embryonic form throughout the world. Unsigned Avanti, 1920. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. <laughs> my microphone, my headphones. <laughs> it got immediately worse. Um, so basically we just, you know, that, that whole section was like, how do we change the culture, rear a culture in, in a socialist fashion? Um, and I think that makes, I mean, perfect sense. You're going to have to do that. And that is a good lead into Marinetti, who... Oh, he's not even saying that. He's saying that for there to be a revolutionary moment, yeah, the working class has to start thinking of a future. Mm. Not even, not even the working class saying things need to be different. They need to start having yeah, an imagination of this is what things can be, even if it's not fully fleshed out. And the, the Vanguard party needs to be prodding them with these questions so that they can start imagining these things. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that is, that is wildly important, right? We, we just talked about, you know, nihilism and, and the acceptance of capitalist realism as, as some great truth that that breeds rather than going, well, if there's capitalist realism, we have a gap in education and imagination and, and we need to, uh, work on that every bit as much as we need to work on reading theory, you know. I am still very flustered. I don't have much to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> Will you tell us who Marionetti is? Yeah, I'm ready for that. Are we ready for that? <laughs> yes. Sure. So, Marinetti, the reason why I was interested is because I had a teacher whose last name was Marinetti, so I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I read the, the first Wikipedia uh, paragraph, and I was like, okay, Filippo 
Tommaso Emilio Marinetti. That's a name. That's an Italian name. Mm-hmm. Italian poet, editor, art theorist, and founder of the futurist movement. So I'm like, okay, interesting. I, I don't know much about futurism, actually, besides like oh. you know, Afrofuturism, right? He was associated with the utopian and symbolist artistic and literary community Abie de Cretiel between 1907 and 1908. I have no idea who they are, right? Marinetti is best known as the author of the first Futurist Manifesto, which I'm like, that makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Which was written and published in 1909 and was co-author of the Fascist Manifesto in 1919. It's like, whoa, that fucking took a turn. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. Now that you mentioned futurism, because I, I I wasn't thinking the person. Futurism, I think, is this like it was it, it it was kind of a big philosophy of of liberals heading into World War One, um, where you know screw tra- screw traditions, which is funny that that he you know was the author of the fascist manifesto, but screw like trying to be traditional, whatever. We need to we need to change the world with young people. We needed to do it violently and and. And World War One kind of soured all but select right wing group from it. Yeah, that's <laughs> we need to use the young people to <laughs> yeah, wow, that uh that backfired. Yeah, a bit. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that that's that. Art yeah. deco, constructivism, surrealism, they're all an extent to futurism. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm reading another Wikipedia article. <laughs> I don't know shit. All right. Well, let's let's hop into the section. I'll go ahead. Oh, I and guess it's my turn. Yeah, it is I'm your the turn only one. to read. Yeah, you're about to take over. For yeah, me. read about Marionette, Marionetti. So this is about a Marriott. No. Um, <laughs> this inc- <laughs> Okay. This incredible, enormous, colossal event has happened, which if divulged, threatens completely to destroy all the prestige and reputation of the communist international. This is intense. Wow. Okay. During the second Congress in Moscow, comrade Lenacharsky, which I did not look up. I should have no idea who that is in his speech to the Italian delegates, a speech given mark you in Italian, excellent Italian even, so that any suspicion of a dubious interpretation must I priori be rejected, said that in Italy, there lives a revolutionary intellectual by the name of Filippo Tommaso Marinetti. The Philistines of the workers' movements are extremely shocked. It is now certain that to the insults of being called Bergsonian, voluntarist, pragmatist, and spiritualist. So I don't know what Bergsonian means. I should have looked that up too. But will be added. To, uh, will be added the more deadly one of futurists, Marinettians. Since much Marinettians, I don't know. Anyway, um, since such a fate awaits us, let us see if we can raise ourselves to a self-awareness of our new intellectual position. Many groups of workers looked kindly towards futurism before the European war. It happened. Okay. Hold on. Buddy, the European war. Yeah. The world war one, the European war. (laughs) At least call it the great war. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Only Europe. 
fuck everyone else. Well, they're talking about Italians, and Italians didn't have colonies, really. Well, I know, but like Japan, like there was a. Well, Italy didn't go fight in Asia, so they're talking about. (laughs) You mean to tell me they didn't fight in Africa at all? Uh, I mean, if you count like Tripoli, yeah, I guess. Is that is that Asia or is that Africa? Tripoli, that's Libya. Oh, is it? I thought that was in Turkey. No. They they, they weren't really fighting far-flung regions. They were in maybe like Somalia. Uh, Anyway. Maybe in Somalia. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's so weird. Well, it doesn't seem close like to us, but to Italy, it's pretty close. Right. It happened very often before the war that groups of workers would defend the futurists from the attacks of cliques and professional artists and literatures. This point established this historical observation made. The question automatically arises. In this attitude of the workers, was there an intuition? Here we are, the, here we are with the word intuition. Bergsonians. Bergsonians. What? So Bergson was like a, a philosopher in the early 1900s. He was really into like rationalism. Oh, okay. I get it now. All right. Into it. Okay. <laughs> so they go uh, rationalist, rationalist. Yeah. Okay. Of an uh, unsatisfied need in the proletarian field. We must answer. Yes. The revolutionary working class was and is aware that it must fa- found a new state that by its tenacious and patient labor, it must elaborate a new economic structure and found a new civilization. It is relatively easy to outline right from this moment, the shape of the new state and the new economic structure in this absolutely practical field. We are convinced that for a certain time, the only possible thing to do will be to exercise an iron like power over the existing organization over that constructed by the bourgeoisie. From this conviction comes the stimulus to struggle for the conquest of power, and from it comes the formula by which Lenin has characterized the worker state. For a certain time, the worker state cannot be other than a bourgeois state without the bourgeoisie. End quote. Uh, the battlefield for the cer- for sorry, the battlefield for the creation of a new civilization is, on the other hand, absolutely mysterious. Oh. <laughs> Accidentally just scrolled up a million pages. Uh, <laughs> okay, here we are. On the other hand, absolutely mysterious, absolutely characterized by the unforeseeable and the unexpected. Having passed from capitalist power to workers' power, the factory will continue to produce the same material things that it produces today, but in what way and under what forms will poetry, drama, the novel music, painting, and moral and linguistic works be born? Which... Man, what an easier time to have to have a revolution, you know, like, because we have to, like, fundamentally change what we're producing. Like, we're just wasting yeah. materials all the time. Just, and I mean, the materials we're using for those things are fundamentally shitty. Like, <laughs> wow, you uh, all had it way, like, we got to figure out how to, like, fix fucking uh, PFAS chemical poisoning and shit like that. These motherfuckers are like, 
what culture are we gonna have after? <laughs> Fuck you. They didn't. They didn't have the same kind of uh, hundred years oh of multimedia God. marketing. To be so fair, to they through. also had the same kind of chemical poisoning. They just didn't know what it is yet. Mm. <laughs> so, well, yeah, but like, rain's poison. So. That's, That's true. You know, it it got really bad. Yeah, it did. It got really bad. <laughs> Where were we? Uh, it is not a material factory that produces these works. It cannot be reorganized by a worker's power according to a plan. One cannot establish its rate of production for the satisfaction of immediate needs to be controlled and determined statistically. Nothing in this field is foreseeable except for this general hypothesis. There will be a proletarian culture, a civilization, totally different from the bourgeois, and in this field, too, class distinctions will be shattered. Bourgeois careerism will be shattered, and there will be a poetry... A novel, a theater, a moral code, a language, a painting, a music peculiar to proletarian civilization. The flowering and ornament of proletarian social organization. What remains to be done? Nothing other than to destroy the present form of civilization. In this field, to destroy does not mean the same as the economic field. It does not mean to deprive humanity of the material products that it needs to subsist and to develop. It means to destroy spiritual hierarchies, prejudices, idols, and ossified traditions. It means not to be afraid of innovations and audacities, not to be afraid of monsters, not to believe that the world will collapse if a worker makes grammatical mistakes, if a poem limps, if a picture resembles a hoarding, or if young men sneer at academic and feeble-minded senility. The futurists have carried out this task in the field of bourgeois culture. They have destroyed, 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 without worrying if the new creations produced by their activity were on the whole superior to those destroyed. They have had confidence in themselves, in the impetuous, 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 Impetuously. Oh, Impetuously. Okay. Fuck that word. <laughs> of their youthful energies, they have grasped sharply and clearly that our age, the age of big industry, the large proletarian city, and the in, of intense and tumultuous life was in need of new forms of art, philosophy, behavior, and language. This sharply revolutionary and absolutely Marxist idea came to them when the socialists were not even vaguely interested in such a question. When the socialists certainly did not have as precise an idea in politics and economics, when the socialists would have been frightened, as is evident from the current fear of many of them, by the thought that is that it is that it was necessary to shatter the machine of bourgeois power in the state and the factory. In their field, the field of culture, the futurists and revolutionaries. In this field, it is likely to be a long time before working classes will manage to do anything more creative than the future. When they supported the futurists, the workers' groups showed that they were not afraid of destruction. Certain as they were of being able to create poetry, paintings, and plays like the futurists, these workers were supporting historicity, historic historicity 
I don't know. I don't fucking the possibility of the proletarian culture created by the workers themselves. Um, so, so to context that, I think um, based on on uh, what we know about Marinetti and and the futurists, um, it, <laughs> in writing the the fucking fascist manifesto, is that you know. It, the whole idea of futurism and, and as the, you know, kind of the progenitor of, of, of fashion that I had is very good at like destroy society. And that's why we ask like, what are you building in its place? You know, it's very easy to, to hear people go, Oh, small government. Um, and then, or us government bad and be like, okay, are you just like saying you want all the taxes to go to cops and racism? Or are you like, you know, actually think the military is bad type shit. Um, it seems like there was a, a similar role with futurism and that destruction of the old guard was very palatable to people until World War One kind of fucked it up and showed what futurism was all about, right? And 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 the destruction it, it can cause. Um and you see that now, right? You you talk about like the government being bad and opposition to it and stuff like that, and people equate you equate you with right wingers because why not? It's convenient, right? And fascists talk about destroying, but you got to ask what what do they want to build, right? What do they want in its place? And that's you know what we want to build is what makes us communists. Well, right. Like a lot of people will argue that land back is just ethno nationalism or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, Land back isn't about returning to the past. It's about going back to communal ownership of the fucking land. That's communism, you fucking idiots. Yeah. So the the Bergsonians sound a lot like the 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 uh, anywhere from the mainstream liberals to the the left wingers that that want to be massively chauvinistic and and you know uh, serve fascism playing word games, right? Um, the 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 Voschites and the like. So um this this does again it's not like for like there's some differences here like um you know the futurists were actually functionally useful according to this passage in Gramsci whereas we don't see the same use out of out of the modern fascists and proto-fascists but there's a lot of similar currents that you can relate and tie back And also, that is where we're going to end today. Unless you got anything more on that, Shigmani two or Prez? I was going to say Prez. Anything? No. All right. <laughs> so thank you. Fascists don't provide a future. So no. Well, they provide a very bleak one. Well, it, it's funny because you you want to say like fascists came essentially you know partially from futurism and they don't provide a future but also like futurists didn't provide a future they 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 were for wanton destruction and uh, uh you know a hard fast and loose world to change the guard for the sake of changing the guard without naming what was wrong with the guard well the future that futurism and especially fascism provide is not actually anything that tries to create a new future it's just there are some bad people it's capitalist petty bourgeois individualism there's a small group mm-hmm. of bad people we need to get rid of and then everything's great and then everything's be great. it yeah, just turns out just, that turns the better. small group of bad people are all jews and brown people <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> you know that indigenous people were a lost tribe of israel 
So therefore, oh god, no, 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 no. But I mean, so, you do see the anti-Semitism uh, reapplied. Indigenous but, Americans were yeah. actually Hindu, and Hindus were the first Aryans. <laughs> <laughs> and the I Aryans. Hate this. Are we just yeah. are we just going to have our own ancient aliens episode right here, tacked on the end? <laughs> Listen, all right, yes. under Hawaii. They don't want you to know. That's why the fires are going on, right? <laughs> I'm preparing for an episode with uh, Justin from uh, Anti-Empire uh, Project on fascism in India. So I'm reading all of the like you gotta Hindu throw in nationalist stuff. fascist shit. You know about the Hindu nationalists funding Tulsi Gabbard, right? Yeah. Okay, you got to yeah. make sure that's in there and that yeah. she how she's connected to Jackson Hinkle, who helps lead the Patsosh bullshit. And like literally one of the, the, the things that I was reading, the, the texts, the definitional texts for one of these foundational movements that are literally how the ruling party of India right now started in the 1930s had in it Indigenous people of the Americas are Hindu, and <laughs> oh yeah, and Hindus are the first Aryans, and Germany has it backwards, and we're really the white race. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's batshit. It it's actually insane. That's sick. <laughs> At this point, we're just smoking that shit that puts you on the more you know star. <laughs> Jesus God. That is a good one. I've never heard that. <laughs> so thank you all for listening and look forward to that Prez collaboration because I am. That's for sure. <laughs> it seems right up my alley. It's going to be a wild ride, I'm telling you. <laughs> That's like when I was like dropping the bombs on ancient aliens, how like it's written by the Nazis, literally. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. I love shit like that. <laughs> so, uh, also, GoFundMe. It's in the show notes. Please contribute and share to your friends. Seriously, share to all your friends, all of them. Annoy them. I bet you this is going to be an excellent moment to radicalize your friends and family. Trust me. Send them the GoFundMe and be like, just contribute five bucks. Five bucks. You got five bucks? Because, like, in three weeks, I got to figure out how to get this house moved. Like, serious. So we we got the land. We need, it. we need to move the house and build it. So let's get her done. Um, oh, it's at the Colonial Marks now, too, on X. <laughs> There's a new one, sorry. On X. <laughs> I will continue to dead name Elon Musk's little creation until he stops dead naming people. Freaking Twitter. Even if he stops dead naming people, I will continue to call it Twitter. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> well, even like on uh the it's, emails, it's, it's not like a person named Twitter. And then when you click the help desk, it says Twitter help. Yeah. And you're it, like, you put an X.com. It actually does take you there. It, it, it redirects you to Twitter.com to do it. It's like, that's the cheesiest fix, dude. <laughs> it's so bad. 
<laughs> so you know, like it's like probably like xxx.com that like God. actually owns X. <laughs> God. It's so stupid. It's that it looks so much like a porn app just on the phone. It just looks like it's made for porn. Dude, I thought it was a porn app. <laughs> like I I was like, what the fuck's on my phone? The morning it changed. <laughs> when did I download this? <laughs> So anyway, that that oh uh who else is there? Um at Mark's Madness Pod, at Marksy Marks2, Chunkaluta1973 at gmail.com, Mark's Madness Pod at gmail.com. Insert prizes personal email. <laughs> this is Prez's personal phone number. Here you go. <laughs> I don't even know if you have the same phone when we went to New York. But uh yeah. <laughs> I don't, but my personal email is uh, you don't go actually give it out. at fuckyourself.com. There you go. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the show, everyone. It was extra long for you since we wasted 30 minutes of your time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So uh, this has been Mark's Madness Pod, now part of Chunkaluta. Uh, we read books. My name's David. I'm Shimani, too. There we go. That's what I was waiting for. I was like, there's the David ending. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Prez. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Oh,